Within the depths of the strip mall of the dam lies a decrepit video store long since shuttered. Past the dusty shelves, empty save for spiders spinning their patient webs. Beyond the ancient batwing doors guarding the sepulcher where once were hidden, the perverse and heretical, a secret society assembles. To scrutinize those films which are rumored to drive viewers to madness and dissolution. Draw closer, dear listener. Let your trembling ears sup upon the eldritch knowledge of the Cinemania Society. What I did on my holidays. No, no, that's shit. The events of the tragic and mysterious conclave of the Cinemania Society, comma, the time we looked into the mouth of madness, period. Too much? I like it. It's got a certain puzzle. I was going for razzle-dazzle, but I'll take what I can get. Yeah, perhaps it's time to discuss the need for bug powder when considering any serious artistic endeavor. I need to think. Innerzone wants this report by dinner. It was a night like any other. Yeah. And we're about to discuss a movie. Fellow Cinemeisters, I'd like to present for your consideration tonight an obscure 1970s British no. psychodrama. No. No. no, God. No. Jesus. No. Never again. To discuss a movie of my own choosing, I felt that this one was a definite candidate for condemnation. I introduced it to them. Listen, guys, okay, here we go. In the mouth of madness, huh? Huh? This is great. Uh, this is one of the first really psychedelic Oh, what's this? That... Come on. Shit, are you kidding me? That piece of shit? I couldn't make head or tails of that. No, oh, no. That is the worst. <clears throat> no, 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 Even no. for John Carpenter, that's bad. I was sure the others would go along. So, it, get this straight. Okay, so it's got Sam Neill but he's not researching dinosaurs. He's going like bug fuck crazy. All right. Oh, I like it. Holy oh, shit. Yeah. This is like a, a Lovecraft, uh, but like done by John Carpenter. Hell yeah. Yeah, no, this, this is what I'm saying. Sounds mm-hmm. crappy. Okay. Nah. Even Zachariah liked the idea. But you know, I love Stephen King and John Carpenter. What could go wrong? So shall we continue? I'm for it. Okay, yeah. yeah, let's go ahead. All right. I always agree with Zachariah. Andy is my best friend. We have to have something playing on the screen of the restricted room. They even let me be a pontifex of resentment for a change, even though they don't trust that I'm not going to give them something laced with blood powder. <clears throat> Welcome, brethren and sisters, to this conclave of the Cinemania Society. Please be seated. And welcome to our listeners, to whom I will now issue this warning. We, disciples of the Cinemania Society, have studied the mysteries of the motion picture and meditated upon the silver screen for many years. Therefore, we have become inured to the films we scrutinize. Or, we've just 
mainline them too much, which may contain hazards unsuitable to young and sensitive ears. As such, we advise anyone listening to do so with discretion. Guard your ears carefully, lest you develop a severe and irreversible case of cinemania. Present at our conclave tonight are Sinquisitor Ethan, Keeper of the Lenses. I am here. Professor Andrea, Scholar of San Francisco. Yes. Scrutinizer Zachariah, Guardian of the Door. What's past is prologue. And Verifier Andy, Master Illuminator. Past is prologue. And we'll see who else we can rope in occasionally for tonight. I am Profligator Daniel, Cognoscente of Epicuriosity. I will be serving as Pontifex of Presentment for tonight's subject of scrutiny, John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. Brother Ethan will act as Master Castigator for this conclave. Certainly, I cannot wait. Brother Ethan, present the charges. <clears throat> charges against In the Mouth of Madness include doing an inception without a permit, exceeding the limit of maximum three stories within a story, criminal underuse of Sam Neill, criminal overuse of Sam Neill, willful and knowing casting of Charlton Heston in a film with neither Simeons nor Soylent Green, contributing to the ongoing megalomania of Stephen King, being a flagrant patchwork ripoff of horror novel tropes with malice aforethought. Suspicion of being a heavy metal version of Groundhog Day. Failure to include synth within a John Carpenter soundtrack. Expecting us to believe that an insurance investigator would have a sense of humor, or really any personality whatsoever. BDSM elder abuse. Being a terrible tease for 90s monster effects, any of which honestly would have made for a better film. And tentacles. Did you hear that? Tentacles? There's tentacles all throughout yeah. this film. <laughs> I'm shocked. It's shocked. Tentacles. There ten tentacles? I swear this film had more tentacles than 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 Orotsuka Doji had. And Legend not, of the Overfiend didn't have as many. And not one single schoolgirl. Criminal. Thank you, Brother Ethan. And I was feeling a little tired, like I needed a break, so we tempted to ask. Brothers, shall we open the door to sponsorship? Why if, not? Yeah. If why we not? must. So, we were about to get into it, and then Brother Raya had some bullshit to bring up as usual. Fellow Inquisitors, before we start, Scrutinizer Zachariah has some society business announcements to make. <sighs> okay, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Whoever took the tinfoil out of my fez to warm up their baked potato, that was incredibly fucked up. <coughs> Mind him and me. <clears throat> Without the tinfoil lining in my fez, you know that I am vulnerable to being possessed by the ghost of this video store. This time, the ghost of Murray, the manager, got to me, and that sadistic bastard made me watch every single Michael Bay Transformers in a marathon. All of them, including the fucking Bumblebee spinoff. <clears throat> That's one of the whole lot. Mm -hmm. 
Do you know what it's like to be stuck behind your own eyes screaming silently into the CGI never-ending desiccation of your favorite cartoon from your youth? God, Lord. No. Whoever took that out of his fez needs to return it immediately. I've, I've already done that. Look, I know Cinemania affects us all differently. Be it my possessions, Sinquisitor Ethan's disappearing, reappearing accent. What accent? I have no idea what you're talking about. Keeper Daniel's obsession with his creepy Clark Nova bug typewriter. I'm not obsessed. Clark Nova is just misunderstood. Seriously, I can stop using it anytime I want. We got the professor talking in tongues. Tarantino, Bachman, Pluto Nash. Or the rest of you lunatics with your weird fetishes. Well, I think I got off easy. I don't think so. It's your turn to give Methuselah his meds today. Oh, but he's a biter. And Andre, by the way, Andre got left on a forbidden planet the last conclave after getting drunk on Kentucky bourbon, and he missed his flying saucer because he was on a bender with Robbie the Robot. So we're going to have to drag the Interocitor out of the sub-basement five to contact him for this week's conclave. Wait, we have an Interocitor? Yeah, it's buried under old copies of The Adventures of Pluto Nash and Ishtar. Oh, in the hazardous waste bin. Uh, get Brother Methuselah to drag it up in. Oh, but the elevator is broken. It's ten flights of stairs. Don't be lazy, you withered old sandwich. No, very well, I don't appreciate withered And lastly, if listeners of our conclave from other chapters want to ask us questions, please email us at insert email address, and we will try to answer your questions during the next conclave. That's all I got for now. Insert email address, really? I don't keep track of these things, man. It's (laughs) thecinemaniasociety at gmail.com. I just want everyone to know I handle the dating advice. (laughs) bring your own bug powder (laughs) (laughs) yeah and thanks to a little McAllen 12 I actually gave enough of a buck to finish this story so uh yeah I don't know um uh, brother Andy introduced the film or some bullshit I think I should introduce the film, or some bullshit. Well, we open to the strains of John Carpenter in full-on hair metal mode. There will be no subtle blinky-plonk keyboards here. It's all electric guitars wailing away. The opening shots show us a book being printed on massive presses. And what book is it? None other than In the Mouth of Madness. Oh, I love it when they use the title of the movie in the movie. They said the title in the thing. Yeah, it's like when Luke Skywalker said, I'm really tired of all these Star Wars. That was my joke from two episodes ago. <laughs> yeah, as I was <laughs> this lunch is all naked. Oh, very efficient, but what could it all mean? Well, we cut to a charming seaside insane asylum. Seems like we start a lot of our movies this way. A new inmate is being delivered. He insists that he's not crazy, which is probably not what you want to be screaming at the top of your lungs while being bundled into a padded cell by burly orderlies. Sounds completely plausible to me. (laughs) Yeah, it would. Sounds like Friday night to me. (laughs) I believe it. You you got the tinfoil nicely nestled in that fez, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
Character actor John Glover is running the place, and you can tell he's kind of prissy and tightly wound by his bow tie and almost eraserhead style haircut. The new inmate is John Trent, played by none other than Sam Neill. Yay! <laughs> Wasn't this the guy who played? Uh, this is the guy who played Damien. This is the guy who played Damien in The Omen. He was the Antichrist. Oh, that's right. It was. Yes. Sam Neill played Damien in The Omen, too. He was the Antichrist. Yeah. It's know. a recurring theme for him in his roles. <laughs> yeah, that, that was... I was going to say, Sam Neill is like, everybody knows him for one thing, being the slightly gruff but charming, uh, um, you know, d- dinosaur doctor from but, Jurassic Park, and everything else is psychopath. Well, that's why everything went to shit at Jurassic Park, because you don't send the fucking Antichrist to Jurassic Park. (laughs) Speaking of shit in the Antichrist, uh, The Omen 2 was the first uh, movie I ever saw that had uh, butt sex in it. So (laughs) It's almost as if Sam Neill was thinking about what movies he could be in, but not about what movies he should be in. Didn't they originally want Tom Selleck or something for uh, Jurassic Park? Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Okay, that was enough of that tangent. Then Andy got back to describing the movie for us. Well, in between insisting very calmly that he is not crazy, he suffers from horrifying visions of blood and death. So totally not a nut job, right? Well, Sam Neill is visited by some kind of a therapist played by the criminally underused David Warner. Now, by this time, Sam has had a time to do a little decorating. He asked for a black crayon, and he's used it to cover the walls and himself in crucifixes. He explains- It looks like Trent got mobbed by a satanic kindergarten. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, but I thought most kindergartens were satanic, weren't they? At least that's what they told us in the 80s. And this is why in Jurassic Park, he just likes to try eviscerating all those little kindergartners with the talon from a velociraptor. See, it all makes sense. It all ties together. It was definitely yeah. a learning moment. It's all the Sam Neill extended universe, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the MCU, yeah. SCU. He explains that even though he's totally sane... He has decided that actually the nut house is the safest place to stay and he wants people to leave him in here. You see, the world outside is going straight to hell and Sam Neill knows it. He rather graciously agrees to explain himself. And from this point on, we're seeing a flashback where Sam is telling us just how things got to this point. Story within a story, number one. You see? You with me? Eh? I don't know. There's no cricket in this one, so it's hard to follow. Well, he's pulling a Douglas Adams here, isn't he? Isn't he where he's setting a sign up outside the asylum? It says the interior of the asylum, and he goes into his cell, and it's the outside. Kind of, yeah. That was in uh, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, wasn't it? Yes, yes, as I said, he pulled a Douglas Adams. Anyway, carry on. (laughs) Well, some time before, Sam used to be a freelance insurance investigator, whatever the hell that is supposed to mean. And how does this even work as a business model? Anyway, Sam's job is to investigate insurance fraud, you know, for any insurance company that might need a hand with that. As you know, insurance companies are known for being super trusting and easy to fool, and so they need a lot of outside help from hard-boiled freelance investigators. (laughs) Yes, hard-boiled insurance investigators with a very, very thinly disguised New Zealand accent. 
it's, it's all as an expert sense. in thinly disguised accents, I can tell you. <laughs> the more hard-boiled you are, the bigger your shoulder pads are on your suit in this one. In a scene that doesn't really matter to the movie, we see that Sam is good at his job. He solves a fraud case by proving that a businessman burned down his own warehouse for the insurance money. Sam is the kind of freelance insurance investigator who will track down your mistress to take pictures with a telephoto lens in order to prove you have given her a stolen fur coat. It's all incredibly film noir. After doing such a good job, Sam's insurance company contact offers him a fresh new gig, and they discuss it over coffee in the charming little cafe of madness, madness which has, and this is important, a massive window looking out onto the street. A publishing company has lost their best author. He disappeared mysteriously without producing his latest manuscript, and Sam's job is to find out if they're on the level or whether this is all some kind of con. You know, one of those publishing cons where authors are whisked off into the ether. It happens all the time. I haven't, haven't you heard? I believe that must have happened to Stephen King at least four or five times. No, he got to J.K. Rowling. <laughs> no, Stephen King got hit by a car. But did he, though? Haven't you ever read Christine? I talk that about car irony. was driven by Dean Koontz. <laughs> well, well played well played <laughs> but you do have to say there is a significant striking irony of him writing a novel about people committing vehicular homicide in uh, in a car and then him getting hit by a car 20 years later and then he wrote that into a book uh, made it really uh, important in the uh, dark tower series it's, oh. like that, it's like that famous quote from George Lucas. Sometimes you just got to run a good thing into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> now that's pod racing. Oh. <laughs> oh. While they're discussing the author, a hugely influential horror writer called Sutter Kane, a rather unhinged looking fellow, walks across the street outside and quite calmly destroys that big window with an axe. Towering over Sam Neill, he asks, do you read Sutter Kane? Before being shot by a couple of cops who, I don't know, just happened to be in the cafe at the time. This was the most unbelievable thing to me, that the cops would actually risk themselves to do this. Innocent times, the 90s. Innocent times. Yep. Uh, this was before the Supreme Court ruling that basically said that cops didn't have any legal obligation to protect the public or risk themselves at all in any way whatsoever. Please, we're here to discuss fantastical works of unbelievable fiction. Don't bring that kind of nonsense into it. <laughs> Truly unbelievable. Sam visits the publisher. The big chief of the company is played by Charlton Heston. So you know these are serious people. He introduces his sexy replicant sidekick, a young lady called Styles, and they tell Sam that Sutter Kane simply vanished. The last person to have any contact with him happens to be his agent, who was none other than the crazy axe guy from moments before. Dun, dun, dun. Shocking. Must have needed to axe him a question. All right, uh, perhaps it's time for another ritual cleansing of uh, capitalism. Uh, we shall all get out the tools and... Uh... I, you know what I was thinking? Uh, oh, oh, no, we haven't talked about brother. Methuselah in a while. Yeah! Hey, did someone mention me? Uh, yes, uh, Brother Methuselah, it's time for your um, cleansing bath of capitalism. It's kind of like a mosquito dip. All right, grab him! Oh, no, 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 no,
Oh, goodness, he's got his teeth are coming out in the bite. You got me again. Damn it, I'm going to need a rabies shot again. I regret nothing. I don't think he has rabies. He may have one rabies, but not the entire set. Had to catch them all. Are we ready for the bath? I brought the toaster. How shocking. Brother Zachariah, shut the door on sponsorship. It turns out that reading Sutter Kane's books can make you a little twitchy. Sam reckons this is all nonsense and resolves to find Sutter Kane. Sam is a total cynical bastard, and Styles suggests that if he wants to get a handle on Kane, he should read some of the books. Sam agrees, but only because he's totally into her. It's actually a little bit gross how he is all, why don't we discuss it after work? Fortunately, Styles is a replicant ice queen and never stops working. This moment was actually, um, from our perspective now, looking at it in 2022, it felt a little um, uh, contrived, but I mean, this kind of sexual harassment, you know, was something that happened. Didn't Michael Crichton write a book about it that got made into a movie? Yeah, it was obviously creepy and weird. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, it was, it was gross. Well, here's where we see Sam at his best as an investigator. He gets hold of all the Sutter Kane novels he can in the independent bookstore of madness and just starts reading. But things begin to get odd. Sam starts bumping into odd looking people. And I mean, just off the boat from hell, odd looking. He has a repeating vision of a cop beating someone up in an alley. And each time the vision repeats, things get more slimy. However, it's worth it because he makes a breakthrough. You see, on each of Kane's books, there is a squiggly red line as part of the cover art. Sam cuts the covers off the books and rearranges them. The lines meet up. In a rather unfathomable leap of deduction, Sam realizes that they form a map. And in a truly mind-boggling bit of puzzle solving, he finds a spot in New Hampshire where that map points to. There yeah, isn't this is that moment in the in the D and D game where like the players are just not getting it. So the GM is like, "Okay, guys, just go here." <laughs> <laughs> and then you trip over. You have tripped over a scroll. It is a map. But it's interesting <laughs> that they <laughs> interesting that they picked New Hampshire because H.P. Uh, Lovecraft was Rhode Island and uh, Stephen King was Maine, so of course this has to be set in New England somewhere. Well, they split yeah, the difference between. If them. you put push pins into all of those locations on a map and put red string around them in just the right way, it doesn't make anything at all. But it's a cool hobby. <laughs> <laughs> well, there isn't supposed to be any town there, but Sam wants to see for himself. Charlton Heston agrees and sends Styles along to go with him, you know, for backup or something. Well, you know, those replicants are actually like superhumanly strong. Yeah. And apparently she just goes wherever he sends her without question or complaint because it's the 90s. My, it's like yeah. my buddy. My buddy, wherever I go. My kick, murder squad, replicant. More human than human is our motto. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not quite all the way there yet. She's just a little bit uncanny valley. Uh, not quite Nexus 6 level. 
Yeah, that's well, a really Internet unkind Explorer thing 5. to say about that actor. Who played Styles again? Oh, it was the same actress who played the uh, Lieutenant Commander on Babylon 5. Oh, shit. her name, yeah. I have it down here, Carmen, Julie Carmen. Yep. Now, to be fair, she's not doing a bad performance. Her character is deliberately written to be a bit weird and unsettling, but she does come across as distinctly odd in places. It's, okay, part of it is like they always have her in that like bright white suit and stuff, which is just like, you know, really makes her just like shine out. But mm. I think that's a deliberate device to make her just like seem like a guiding light, if you will. I didn't write it. <laughs> Did she? I, that yes. was completely unintentional. I mean, that was completely intentional. <clears throat> anyway. Sam believes that the town Sutter Kane keeps writing about, Hobbs End, is in fact a real place, and they're going to find it. The journey starts out normally enough, and in an amusing diversion, Styles falls asleep in the car, and <laughs> get this, Sam produces, and I shit you not, an old-timey comedy clown horn from his glove box and honks it at her. What the hell, Sam? What else do you have in there? What do you do with the rest of the clown? Silent Green? It just comes out of nowhere. He just has a, a random glove box full of weird vaudeville bits. You don't? That's where I keep the aristocrats. Mine is just filled with hitchhiker ears. <laughs> but, like, it never comes back. There's no other sign of his sense of humor. It's just, yeah, uh, he's, not, he's not pranking people. He doesn't sort of have bits that he pulls here and there. It's just this one time. Oh, he did, do, he did make a joke. Or earlier on, he said that the uh, agent, uh, that Sutter Kane sh could find better representation than the agent axe murderer. Yeah, right. but he didn't follow it up with a custard pie to the face. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a Perhaps this is a rotating bow tie or something. Running from the mob later in big oversized clown shoes. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't actually a, a, a joke or a prank for him at all, but like basically his version of a pet corrector. <laughs> Perhaps this was uh, John Carpenter telling us that Sam Neill is a jive-ass honky. John Carpenter didn't write this script, though. He was brought on to, as a director. That does explain some of the weirder choices that get oh. made. So, anyways, he was going to Hobbs End after he passed Castle Rock and drove through Shermer, Illinois, right? One can only imagine. Oh, Things Derry. Only, uh, Derry, Maine. That's near to Gotham, pick up Tim right? Curry on the way. The trip gets weirder than that, though. Night falls, Styles is driving by now, and she passes a boy on a bike, but only to pass the same boy again moments later, but this time he's become a wrinkled old man. The third time he shows up, she isn't paying any attention and straight up mows the creepy bastard down. They get out to check on their vehicular assault victim, and the old man moans something about he can't leave. It's like he's been stuck on that same bike ride for years. When they turn away for a moment, he's gone. Oh, well, no need to trouble the police or anything. Onward we go. They do go on, and the car passes into the traditional covered bridge of madness where weird lights flash and things get bumpy. When they emerge, it is suddenly bright daylight and they have arrived in Hobbs End, a town which appears on no map and is supposed to be fictional. I was surprised after they went through that tunnel, they didn't wind up in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. It did I was have surprised a little... they didn't end up in the afterlife with 
the people from Beetlejuice. <laughs> I mean, the, the effects they, they chose to use for that sequence of going through the bridge, it was a little bit Gene Wilder on the boat, wasn't it? There's no way of knowing which way that we are going. Yeah, very much so. That's what the clown horn is for, is to scare away the Oompa Loompas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have to do it before they start singing, because then they never shut up and then someone dies. Uh, everyone knows really that the common, uh, you know, risk that you run as an insurance investigator, a freelance insurance investigator is Oompa Loompas ruining your investigation. Oompa so Loompa attacks, yeah. <laughs> everyone knows that the clown horn is the sound of the natural predator of the Oompa Loompa. Clowns. So, <laughs> clowns. <Yeah. laughs> Carnival clowns from outer space. You kill like clowns from outer space, which was filmed in my hometown, by the way. So. And yet still, yeah. nobody takes Lumpicide seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? No one's mentioned the crime of defacing several book covers. Maybe yeah. that's why he went insane. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, stripping a book. That, uh, that, that is a crime, isn't it? It's his book. He can choose to do whatever crazy fetishy thing he wants to. Not I mean, here in America. Are we going to live in a world it? where a man can't do any weird freakish thing he wants to his own library? That's not a world I want to live in. Well, look, what, whatever goes on between <laughs> consenting book and uh, the person reading it is entirely between them. Well, Mine the are all leather bound. <laughs> oh, goodness. Of course they would be, wouldn't they? Come on, Daniel. I'm Bring me up all afternoon. Don't call it that. It's typing. I, I, what the hell? Maybe it is time for a little bug powder, just to take the edge off. Uh, come back next time for the thrilling conclusion of Madness. Who are you talking to? Oh, shut up. That episode of the Cinemania Society featured Daniel Scribner, Andy Slack, Andrea Palladino, Zachariah Burks, and Ethan Ireland. Written by Andy Slack and Daniel Scribner. Produced, mixed, and mastered by Ethan Ireland. Graphic design by Andy Slack. Music by Carl Casey at Whitebat Audio. Visit our website at thecinemaniasociety.podbean.com and check out our social media feeds. We're on Twitter at TCS underscore Cinemania. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review wherever you found us. Mention us on social media, or find us on Ko-Fi to throw us a few bones. We love to make fun stuff for folks, but it isn't free. Anything and everything helps. Coming soon, the Cinemania Society will be creating pieces of video media, short films of the like. So stay tuned, Cinemaniacs. The Cinemania Society is a production of the Cinemania Society, LLC. 